Track 14, North Lodge. A Milnerfield postscript. This small, striking house is home to private residents, so please be respectful. The building provides us with the best impression we can now gain of the architectural style that once distinguished Milnerfield House. Part Gothic revival, part arts and crafts, part brutalism. Although brutalism had yet to be invented as a term. It looks so solid, but as Karl Marx once put it, all that is solid melts into air. Please exit the estate through the iron latch gate, then cross the road ahead of you. Please take extra care to watch for traffic. This is Primrose Lane, Gilstead, just south of Eldwick. Milner Fields' kitchen gardens lie just to the north here, behind high walls. But we're going to walk south, back down into the valley. Halifax, where Titus Salt Senior lived, is due south from here. Across the other side of the valley, you can see Cottingley, home of the Cottingley Fairies. In 1917, two young cousins, Elsie Wright and Francis Griffiths, posed for a series of photographs with tiny fairies in their garden. Such was the popular fascination with spiritualism at the time that no less an eminence than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle pronounced himself convinced that the photographs recorded a genuine supernatural phenomenon. Elementary, my dear Watson. It was not until the 1980s that the now elderly cousins admitted to having faked the fairies using cardboard cutouts from picture books. Another more serious local mystery that took many years to solve involved the Leeds to Liverpool Canal, which we're heading down towards now. If you've ever walked the canal towpath from Saltair into Shipley, you've passed a small collection of cottages on your left called Jane Hills. They're the oldest surviving canal-side homes in the area, dating all the way back to 1794. It was from here that, on August the 31st, 1977, Silver Jubilee year, a woman named Mary set out to walk the short distance to her place of work at Salt's Mill. She never got there. The following day, her badly bruised body was recovered from the river air. Circumstantial evidence suggested that her attacker had taken her from the towpath and dragged her forcibly down to the river through what was then the building site for the new government tax offices. After being brutally assaulted, her body was thrown into the river. Somehow it drifted across to the Bailden side where it was eventually recovered by police. The West Yorkshire Force were already preoccupied at this time with the Yorkshire Ripper inquiry. Nonetheless, the investigation into Mary's death 
was exhaustive, consuming 40,000 hours of police time and involving the interviewing of 9,000 people, including workers on the building site and in Salt's Mill. The case was eventually shelved, however, with no clear leads. Mary's heartbroken husband, Bill, haunted the towpath from which she'd been taken like a ghost. Four years after her death, aged just 53, his heart gave up on him. Maybe sometimes we can become frozen in time. Life flows on around us. People come and go, but something happens that arrests us where we were. We're going to pause the story here just for a moment to help you find your way. As you walk down Primrose Lane, you'll come to a point where the road bends round to the right. On this corner, to the left, you'll find the entrance to Milner Field Farm with those now familiar brutal Gothic gateposts. As you take the bend, look for the public footpath down to the canal. It's signposted on the left, just past Primrose Hill Cottages. Take this footpath. Two decades passed. Then, in April 2000, a man named Ian answered the door to his home in Derwent Avenue on the Higher Coach Road estate. We passed it earlier. Ian showed no particular surprise when police officers informed him that they were arresting him for a 23-year-old murder. Advances in the technology for dealing with the DNA evidence taken from Mary's underwear, had finally produced a positive match from among the thousands of samples taken during the original investigation. Uncle Ian, as he was known to his friend's children, carefully placed his slippers just inside the door before leaving his house forever. When a police officer informed him that he wouldn't be needing them again, he replied, Everything has its place. Ian had lived a remarkably ordered life, methodical, meticulous, and for many years, both before and after the killing, an apparently devoted husband and father. He had eventually divorced in 1999, after which he moved alone to the house in Derwent Avenue. But neighbours thought fondly of him, and he often babysat their kids. They recall, though, his strange habit of standing at his garden gate at a certain time every evening and looking towards the river in the direction of Salt's Mill. If Ian was haunted by what he had done, it was not enough ever to turn himself in. Yet his crime was remarkable not just for its brutality, but for its singularity. 
He had, by all accounts, lived an otherwise blameless life. Passing sentence, the judge remarked on the ten minutes of madness that had overtaken him. The only explanation offered for his seemingly senseless attack was liquid. The demon drink. That fatal lunchtime, Ian had downed seven pints. At the bottom, you will come out at the canal towpath. When you get there, play track 15.